DevPro Journal is an online publication built to assist B2B software developers in growing profitable, sustainable, and fulfilling businesses. Today's podcast is sponsored by DataCap Systems and Zebra Technologies. Hi, and welcome to the DevPro Journal podcast. I'm Mike Monticello, co-founder of DevPro Journal. Today, my guest is Nanette Lazina, Vice President, Mid-Market Channels at SAP America. Nanette, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mike. I appreciate it. Yeah, so today we're going to be discussing building a reseller channel, and specifically, we're going to be sharing advice and best practices for software developers who are currently selling direct or maybe just dip their toes into a reseller channel and need some assistance. Uh, however, before we dive into the topic of how to successfully build a reseller channel, let's talk about why a developer might want to do so. So, Nanette, could you share some compelling reasons why having a, a reseller channel is good for an ISV? Sure. I would say the number one item is just the expanded coverage, right? Um, the key to expanded coverage is making sure that there is true specialization regionally as well as by industry. Okay. Um, so others may be, you know, off payroll workforce. Um, you may have limited funds or budgets from a personnel perspective, and you basically can reach more of your um, addressable market um, leveraging partners. It's also a way to, to faster growth, right? Sure. Um, you can have multiple vendors and partners um, that'll really help you expand your reach. Okay. Yeah. Makes good sense. How about some downsides? Are there any downsides of building a reseller channel? For me, I think the top one would be around the time to build it out. If you're going to do it right, you really want to take the time to look at all the complexities associated with it and the time that it takes to find the right partners for your solutions across the board and to give them an opportunity to, to build out their own practices. Um, some of the other areas to be aware of, and that I wouldn't necessarily say that they would be downsides, okay. but more so around you need to make sure um, you reduce channel conflict as much as possible. If your organization is used to working in a direct capacity, um, setting up, up your guidelines of who should be playing where, when, so on and so forth. Um, that, that, that conflict is evolving, but the more that you build out your channel, you should see that dissipate. Okay. All right. So if someone is selling direct and they think about doing a reseller channel, do you think in today's day and age they could do both? I know oftentimes I talk to uh, software developers who want to maybe hold on to some of those legacy relationships, especially if they're um, big uh, customers and they don't want to to give them up. Can they can they avoid conflict though by by having both a, an indirect and direct uh, channel? Absolutely. As long as you okay. identify a specific segment or industry that your resale channels will be focusing on, the key there is making sure that you have clear um, definitions for for your channel so that they're so that they're not surprised um, if they stick to where you want them to invest in. Um, the last thing we want to do is to be unpredictable. Um, and yeah. we want to make sure that we are providing our partners um, a way to to be successful in the space. And the only way that we can do that is is giving them predictability. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. So then if a developer is considering building a reseller channel, 
Can you share what are some of the first steps that they should take? I would say the first step is to identify what the value proposition is for the resellers. How are they going to make money? Right. So we need to, if we if we want to entice partners to be selling our solutions, we need that definition first. Some of the other items are how are you going to support them? What type of financial resources are you going to provide? What type of enablement are you going to provide? Um, they're investing in us. So how are we going to be investing in them? All right. So if someone wants to do this, what kind of systems do they need to have in place? I'm thinking, you know, there's probably people, there's contracts, there are, you know, management systems that they need to have in place. Can you can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, absolutely. So I think first and foremost, you have to start with the people. Um, you need to make sure that you have a channel leader that can build over time if you're just starting out. Um, they need they can be a player or a coach to start, but don't hire them just as a as a channel rep. You need someone that's going to have vision for the future. The next side of it is making sure that you have strong partner management to support the partner as they continue to invest in and grow. Okay. okay. From a contracts perspective, you really want to make sure that you have a contract that outlines the commercial terms and the basics of their relationship, where they're going to have access to your customer base, where you want them to focus, um, as well as how are you going to compensate them mm. from the end customer? Yeah. Once you get there, um, and obviously I think a lot of this is needs to be happening in parallel, but at the same point, the systems are key. You need to make sure that you have a PRM, which is a uh, partner relationship management tool that tracks partners across all the KPIs that you need them to focus on. Um, you also want to make sure that your partners have access to program information around your, your um, partner program, as well as training and any sort of demo environments. And the demo environments can be twofold. They can be um, canned demo environments that all of your partners have access to, but you also want to give them the ability to also have their own um, sandbox of, of type to go ahead and customize on an as-needed basis. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Quick follow-up on the the idea of, uh, you know, the, the person that's going to be kind of spearheading this. Is this a position that you think an ISV could take someone that they already have on staff and have them do kind of like double duty while they ramp up? Or should they really hire someone that's just wholly dedicated to this endeavor? This is not a part-time job. Yeah. Um, from my perspective, you, you need someone that is fully dedicated. If you're only going to dedicate a, a partial resource to this, you're just asking for trouble. Yeah. This is this is something that you need to make sure that you are fully vested because if you're not fully vested, then the partners are going to feel that and they're not going to be fully vested. Yeah, good advice. So I know you, you've kind of touched on some of these already, but if we were to try to come up with a list of some you know components of a good or successful reseller partner program, um, are there are there any things that you can share with you know, with us from things that you've seen with your own ISV partners? So I've been in the channel for a number of years now. And one of the things that I have learned is that you need to meet the partners where they are and know where they want to go, because that may not always line up with our own plans. So the key is trying to not only identify 
where they are today and where they want to go, but how we can help them so that we can all get onto the onto the same page. Okay. Other thing is trust. Trust is key bi-directionally. And we need to make sure that there are lines of communication open. Um, nobody's perfect. No ISV is perfect. No partner is perfect. And the only way that we will be successful together is keeping those lines of communication open. Yeah. Okay, great. So uh, let's talk about finding and recruiting resellers, because that's a whole other challenge. Um, I, I can imagine that, you know, software developers have enough trouble hiring internally for their own business. And now you're talking about finding good partners that are just, you know, could be on the other side of the country or even the world. So what advice do you have for, for finding and recruiting resellers? I would say the first item is to understand where your gaps are. We don't need to replicate what we already have. We want to go ahead and um, look for partners that are complementary to us, but that, mm. we're re that we're ensuring that there isn't a conflict there. Now, that's not always going to be possible, right? But if there is a specific industry that you need additional reach where both parties are playing, that's fine. Um, but that's to go back to some of the other items that we had discussed is the need to make sure that we have clear definition and rules of engagement. I would also say looking for partners that are growing, um, that they have an existing track record of success. Mm. Um, and also back to understanding where the partners want to go, where do they want to play? Yeah. How about, I, I know ideally, if, uh, if I was looking for a partner, I'd want them to sell my software exclusively. In today's day and age, that's probably not realistic. But I, I guess what advice do you have if, if an ISV is looking at someone and that they might be selling their, their competition software? Is that a problem or how would you advise them to deal with that? So from my perspective, it's not necessarily a problem. And you're right. In this day and age, to get exclusivity is super rare. Yeah. Um, the key is making sure that there's a bit of a firewall between the two organizations selling the different solutions so that there isn't that conflict or that concern. Because if your sales organization is working with those partners, there is going to be concern that they're, that it, it's a bit muddied. Yeah. And we don't want to be competing, ultimately competing against ourselves, because that's ultimately that would is what would happen. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Well, last question for you here. What not to do? So what mistakes have you seen ISVs make when it comes to their reseller partner programs? First off, you need to give, give it time to work. Um, the worst thing that we can do is changing things too frequently okay. because then we're unpredictable. And when we're unpredictable, that's when our partners start investing in, in other solutions. So how much time? I mean, to give an example, like if I was launching a program and I'm rolling it out and I'm not sure if my, I, I think that my systems are in place, I think I've got the right person, um, you know, how quickly should I be looking to change things if I don't feel like it's working out? So there's a difference between small tweaks and major changes. Um, small tweaks should be happening always, whether you're brand new to starting out your partner organization or if you've been doing it for 25 plus years. It's the major changes, especially in the beginning, I would give it at least 18 months or so to, to give something time to work and to resonate. Um, the problem, if you start changing it before that 18 months, you're being reactive instead of being strategic. Yeah, okay. 
All right. You also don't want to expect your resellers to be able to do everything that your own internal team can do. Um, as much as we want our partners to be an extension of ourselves, unfortunately, they, they're at a disadvantage, right? Because they, they're not necessarily getting access to everything that our own internal teams do, right? Um, and they're also, they have their own agenda also. They have to run their own businesses and we don't control all of that. So it's our responsibility as the ISV to give them access as soon as possible and to enable them as much as possible. But we also need to make sure that our um, joint efforts are in um, the same priority order. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, and that's a good example. Like to say something like um, marketing materials, right? You gotta, you have to enable them with that kind of material and content to to give them a chance of being successful, especially if they're not that familiar with your company. Absolutely, and you know, especially in the beginning, and the smaller partners they may not even have a full-time marketing resource, right? So there, there may be an opportunity not only to give them content, but also how to leverage that content. The other, the other thing that I would also um, wanna highlight is don't underinvest in your channel. It's going to take time, right? So you really need to be realistic with how you're investing and how you're investing in yourselves as well as them. Okay. Yeah, that's a great one. What about um, playing around, tinkering with the revenue sharing? I oftentimes hear about this one where maybe you create this uh, channel program and maybe it's really successful, but you start to see how much you're paying them. I mean, you are as an ISV becoming more successful because they're selling things, but maybe you get a little antsy seeing how much money is going out to them and you start adjusting those levels that could have a negative impact. Do you see that happening at all? So I would say um, you need to look at it holistically. Um, if, if we start pulling back and the partners aren't making as much money, then they're not going to invest anymore. So you really need to look at the overall landscape, and what your competitors are doing as well. You need to understand the market and make sure that um, we're in line with, with, um, with industry best practices and, and funding. So speaking of revenue share, I understand that SAP recently launched its Cloud Choice Flex program. Can you share a little bit more information about that? As SAP has gone further and further into the cloud, we've been evaluating our partners' profitability and the routes to market. And we want to make sure that we give them every opportunity to be successful. So one of the items that we've identified is rather than the traditional resell, where we would sell the solution to the partner and they would in turn mark it up and sell it to the end user. Um, CloudTrace Flex allows them to get paid a commission. So it's a set commission. CloudTrace Flex ultimately also allows two different partners to be engaged. Um, one partner can be part of the consider and select phase where they were part of the pre-sales effort to sell the solution and they would receive a commission. And then the customer has the opportunity to either continue working with that partner from an adopt and operate perspective, or they can have a separate partner do their SI work as well as continue to maintain that relationship going forward. Hmm. Um, and that really gives the appropriate flexibility to work with the customer, meet the customer where they are and ensure success. Awesome, all right. Well, Nanette, thank you so much for your time today and sharing your insights. We really appreciate it. 
Well, I appreciate the opportunity to to speak with you, Mike, and look forward to uh, doing this again. Yeah, I think we we scratched the surface on a lot of things, but we could probably have a separate uh, episode for each one of these items that we discussed here. <laughs> I would agree. Yeah. I would agree. Well, thanks again. And thanks to our listeners for joining us. As a reminder, DevPro Journal is an online publication built to assist B2B software developers in growing profitable, sustainable, and fulfilling businesses. To read more information on this topic and many others, visit devprojournal.com. Finally, we'd like to thank today's podcast sponsors, Datacap Systems and Zebra Technologies. Thanks and have a great day.